listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings to all of you, wherever you are across the metro area. We miss you very, very much. Uh, I've done pretty well in most of our services where we're streaming and doing this remotely. Um, I've done pretty well. I've been sad, but I've been okay. But tonight when the music started, it was all I could do not to just bawl like a baby and come up here with red eyes and blubbery. And that doesn't convey very well, so I I did my best to keep myself under control. I miss you. I do want to say this. Uh, Our services have felt so amazing in this house. Um, it's, It's this. I wish you could feel the team. I wish you could feel way everyone is trying. Uh, We are dealing with moving circumstances, changing circumstances. Um, Starting tomorrow, uh, there is uh, an additional uh, restrictions, and I have read them carefully, trying to determine exactly what would be the best response for us. Um, And so starting this Sunday, we will be uh, operating with an even smaller team. The guideline up till now has been 20, and now starting tomorrow, the guideline is 10. And so we have rearranged where we'll have no more than 10 people uh, in any one space at a time to honor this. Uh, You'll notice the restaurants are still open and you'll notice that many of them have more than 10 people in the kitchen and you'll notice that you're able to go buy things from them and they made your food and then they put it in a package and then they give you a package which you take home to your your family. Um, So... (laughs) You'll know, you'll know it's serious when they shut the restaurants down. Then you'll know it's serious. Um, we're not touching anybody. Um, there's maybe three or four people t- tonight that I've been within closer than six feet to. We are taking care, um, but we do believe, and forgive us for this, but this is who we are. We do believe that the church is essential. We don't believe the church is optional. Um, you can still go to the cable company and pay your cable payment at the open office with more than 10 people there and honey as long as cable tv is considered essential um, I feel like the church is essential too so that's just me Um, we're not trying in any way to we're we're doing everything we can do to try to uh, follow everything uh, in a reasonable manner two things starting tomorrow we will be having nightly online prayer meetings that will be hosted by our pastoral staff that's number one uh, various ones of our pastoral staff will be uh, coming online around 7 o'clock and they will be leading an online prayer meeting uh, where you can send needs in uh, and we can respond to needs as they are presented. This is what a church family does. A church family can't fall apart under pressure. There's the most important things in the world are at stake and a church family cannot fall apart under pressure or it wasn't very much of a church, was it? Um, We make it through times of difficulty and struggle. Uh, We we are hurting. Um, We are hurting financially. Um, We're doing everything we can to address that. We have church members who've lost their jobs. We have people who are in, we're doing everything we can. But I want to say this, and I want to be clear about it. The church cannot fall apart under pressure. We are strong, not in ourselves, but in the promises of God. And so we choose an attitude of mental toughness and spiritual resilience built upon a foundation of faith. God has everything in control, and you're going to make it. 
Secondly, some of our elders uh, <clears throat> have mentioned that we move past the how to give too quickly. And so uh, I just want to very quickly let you know it's very simple. If you'll text give to 704-455-5353, just type in give and send that there. You'll get a text response that is a question and an answer that they'll ask you for a certain set of numbers, uh, say off of a, an account um, that you send to them and they draw from that with your permission. Also, Tithely app is just an app that is part of the, how shall we say it, the ecosystem of apps. And if you go to the website, <clears throat> you'll see a link directly. And when you click that, it'll give you exact instructions on how to do this. So I am reading Deuteronomy chapter number 31, and I am going to read at verse number one, and we are going to get right into the scripture together. Uh, I think I've covered everything. Uh, yes, prayer meetings online and also uh, how, to, how to give for uh, those of you who wanted to go slower. Okay, Moses went on. I'm reading from the message translation, so you'll hear it with fresh ears. Unless um, they have it in the New King James Version, whatever Bible you have it in, that's fine. We're in Deuteronomy, and we are at chapter number 31, verse number 1. Moses went on and addressed these words to all Israel. He said, I'm 120 years old today. I can't get about as I used to. Imagine that. I just can't. I'm not the spring chicken I used to be. And God told me, you're not going to cross this Jordan River. This is the first moment the children of Israel realize they are not going to have the steady hand of Moses' leadership to guide them into this time of, of, of transition. Uh, recently, I spent some time teaching about tests and how we all face tests. And tonight, I want to continue that with this next step after a test, and that is the transition that always follows a test. I want to remind you that tests are necessary. Tests are part of our life. They are a part of our, our professional life. They're also a part of our spiritual life. We are tested uh, to show competence in some manner. We are tested to show ability in some manner. That may have much to do with a professional designation. It may have something to do with being useful spiritually in the hand of God. I believe you, wherever you are, I believe you were placed where you are intentionally by God. I believe you were gifted by God intentionally. One of the things we go over in our First Steps class here at First Church is a deep understanding of this reality that you're not an accident. You're not you're not a mistake. Uh, you were placed by God. And although not everything that's happened to you is necessarily good in itself, let's be honest about that. God has this ability, ability to use everything that's happened to you and spiritually reform it and make it into something that's useful to the kingdom of God. This is a kingdom that celebrates broken people made whole by grace and mercy. This is a kingdom that celebrates those who are not mighty even so doing mighty things. This is a kingdom that celebrates David, young David, not strong and experienced Goliath. This is a kingdom that turns everything you think you know about the world upside down. And it says things like the meek will inherit the earth. When you wanted to say the mighty will inherit the earth. Everything is different. And so uh, you see tests as a way of God preparing us for something he has for us 
to do. Now, the interesting thing is what happens following a test. Tests are not for no reason, as we say in the South. Tests have a reason. Uh, And following the test that you pass comes a day, a moment, a time of transition. So watch what's happening here. You face a test. If you do not pass that test, what happens? You tend to, in some manner or another, retake that test. No one gets excited about that, but that is the very real reality. If you don't pass the test, you, in some form, retake that test. But when you pass the test, you move into a phase of transition. This is where God moves you from where you were. You were in a state of becoming. Now you are moved into a state of accomplishing. Let me say that again. You are moved from a state of becoming and to a place of accomplishing. Uh, So you spend many years becoming and then at the moment of God's perfect timing and in the moment of his divine fulfillment in you, you transition from becoming to accomplishing. For many years, the disciples will follow Jesus. They will sit at the feet of Jesus. They will listen to the teaching of Jesus. But a day will come when he says, I'm going away. And it's good for you that I go away. Because I am going to transition you to another way of knowing me. Right now, you know me through the flesh. I'm right here. That has limitations. I can only be in one place at a time. But if I am translated from flesh to spirit, then I can feel each one of you. And rather than you being with me, if you're with me, I can be in you as a Shekinah presence of God hosting your heart, which has been made a holy place. That's some good stuff. Now, I know I'm not hearing any amens because you're way far away, uh, but that is truly uh, insight, as it were, into this idea of transition. Now, they have gone through becoming, and now there is transition, and now they're in a stage of accomplishment. After the giving of the Holy Spirit, what happens? They begin to turn the world upside down. Even their critics claimed that of, of them. And so this is what's happening This is what's happening here in the story of the children of Israel. Uh, They are facing their test. Their parents failed their test. And that was to possess a promised land that God had ordained that they would have. Learning from the Old Testament takes care. We have to take care with it because in the Old Testament, God demonstrated his covenant through the success and the... uh, how shall we say, progression of a nation. Uh, He had covenant with the children of Israel. And so when you read the Old Testament, you'll often see uh, this manifestation of God's work here on on earth through the success of a nation. And that's why it's difficult for us Christians sometimes to read Old Testament passages where a battle was won. And, And we don't think of Christianity that way, but for them, that's how they thought of it. And that was the promise of their covenant. And they would, they would win. They would possess. And for us, we don't war with swords and guns. We don't war flesh against flesh. We don't war uh, in the manner of, 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 of weapons. Uh, our, our warring is now spiritual. And so these lessons must be translated to a spiritual understanding or we turn the kingdom of God into uh, something it 
was not that was for them, but not for us. Now, how is the kingdom of heaven uh, demonstrated now? Well, first of all, it's demonstrated by the power of God. God will heal. He will save mightily. He demonstrates through his power. Yes. It is also revealed through the changed nature of his covenant people. In the same manner that Old Testament people would reveal the kingdom of God through, say, success against an enemy nation or tribe. In the New Testament, the kingdom of God is revealed by your changed nature. And so now you have in your life the fruit of the Spirit. You manifest the kingdom of God through the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about you fighting your neighbor and stealing his boat. <laughs> it's not about you warring against flesh and blood. It's, it's not those things. It is very much about your life being true to your claim. And having been changed by the power of God, I don't, let, I don't have the same temper I used to have. I'm being daily re, remade into his image. I, I'm more long-suffering than I used to be. Oh, no one's excited about this. Don't click away. I'll get to some good stuff in a moment. <laughs> you literally live out the proof of your claim that the kingdom of heaven has changed you. So we learn these lessons from the Old Testament, but we learn them with understanding. And that, I think, helps us to derive the spiritual depths that is in them. And so Moses is now telling these, this next generation, they are not children of Egypt anymore. They're children of the desert. That's an important understanding. They're not children of Egypt. They're children of the desert. Um, children of Egypt see the world through the eyes of slaves. Children of the desert see the world through the eyes of nomads. It's a different state of being. And there are different lessons for them to learn. And so when Moses stands before them and says, guys, look, you've got to take the land. You've got to pass the test that your parents did not pass. And you are able to do it. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is I'm not going with you. Now, Ab excuse me, uh, if I mistake and say Abraham when I meet Moses, just for clarity, I'm preaching about Moses, okay? So Moses represents the continuing connection all the way back to the original deliverance of Egypt. He represents the continuing connection and the idea that he will he won't be going with them, fills them with uncertainty. Here's the thing about uncertainty. Um, uncertainty is often the worst place to be. Uh, I'll explain this. Um, there were some researchers, uh, there's been several studies done of this, of people who are told that uh, they will receive 20 strong electrical shocks. And they know there's going to be 20, they're going to be painful, uh, but they're going to make it through. And when they know they're going to have 20 shocks... Even though they're strong, they do pretty well with it. Uh, you take another control group and you tell them that they're going to have three strong shocks and uh, uh, 17 mild ones, but they're not going to know when and they're not going to know which one they're getting, the mild or the strong. And they have a much worse time of it. They have much higher stress response. They have much higher uh, the hormones that are related to that. Their heart rate gets elevated simply because they don't know what to expect. Now, here's a group. They have a worse situation, 20 strong shocks. But because they know what to expect, they can handle it pretty well. Life is so good at putting us in conditions of uncertainty. 
You see, we all of us respond, and, and you know this, but we all of us tend to respond through this thing we call the fight or the flight reaction. That means your heart rate leaps, you get this big shot of adrenaline, and you're either going to run like never run in your life, or you're going to fight, or in some of us, we may just freeze. Who knows? But you, you understand what, what, what I mean by this. You get this stress response, okay? Here's the problem with uncertainty. You get the same stress, but you don't know... Uh, where to run, and you don't know who to fight, and you don't know matter. You don't know if it'll matter whatsoever. You just don't know. So, in actual measurements of real people, the stress response, the fear response, the heart rate, the all of the negative uh, hormone consequences, hormonal consequences related to deep stress are worse in situations where people don't know what to expect. If they know what to expect, they do very much better. One of the difficulties of a time like we're in right now is the uncertainty. Many of us are uncertain about our jobs. Um, I'm expecting to get a layoff any moment. No, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> many of us, uh, there's a few of us have already lost jobs. I, I've been praying. I have a couple of people right now on our prayer, my prayer list. I know they've already lost their job. Uh, I know people who've been laid off. And um, it's, it's uh, some of our people work in industries that are just shut down. And they're, they're like contract workers. So they're not getting anything. Um, they're not laid off. They're not fired. They don't have a job. They're in limbo and uncertain. Uncertainty is a killer. I want to say this. Uncertainty is not just difficult for us in our physical reality and in our living in this world. It can be a killer spiritually. Uh, Not knowing what to expect. Not knowing if you'll ever get to where you want to be in God. Not knowing if God will ever use you in an area that you feel a call. Not knowing if those people that you have prayed for will ever have a heart softened toward the things of God. Uncertainty is a killer. And it puts you in a state of kind of negative stress, but you don't know what to do to make it better. This is exactly where the children of Israel are at. They're, what do you mean you're not going with us? Uh, He has been key. Moses has been key uh, to everything God has done for them. When they stood... When they stood or they heard the stories of their parents in Egypt, it was Moses telling uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. When they faced dangers in the wilderness from the golden calf to the giving of the law to the scourge of of serpents, um, it was Moses. He represents the connection to this God of the covenant for them. And now we have to go take this test without Moses? The uncertainty begins to build. Um, there is a day for all of us where we have to take our tests alone. We, it's wonderful to have leadership in our life. I, I have been blessed in my life with tremendous leaders. Um, I've been blessed with uh, leaders in my, in my family. Uh, my mom and dad are the finest Christians I have known. Um, and it is often in my own life, I just feel like I... Uh, no matter what I do, I will never have as great a chance of going to heaven as they have. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, my parents on my wife's side, they, they've been mentors. Um, parents on both sides have been mentors to me. They've been examples. I've been given some great relationships of other pastors who have invested in me and spoke life to me and prayed a covering over me. And uh, I'm, I'm a benefit of that. But I, I am aware of this, and I, I hope you are too. Uh, the test will come where you... You, you have to face it by yourself. Um, I'll never forget as a young preacher, 
uh, I had a series of favorite preachers. Now, uh, I'm just like you. I have favorite styles, favorite preachers. And I always liked guys who would make you think. And my favorite preacher was a guy um, who could take a scripture that you thought you understood. And maybe you did understand it. But when he was done with it, um, you felt like, wow, I, I just did not see that. That was my favorite. And there was some, I had, a, I had some favorite preachers and pastors. They just, they spoke to me. And I'll never forget when my favorite uh, preacher um, had a moral failing and lost his ministry. It, to me, was painful. It, I, I was devastated. I, I, he was my favorite preacher. I mean, I had um, Tupperware, Tupperware boxes full of his preaching tapes, and, and he couldn't even keep it right, and he lost his ministry. And uh, So I moved on to my second favorite uh, preacher, and uh, same thing. I had a bunch of stuff, and I, he lost his ministry to a moral, moral, moral failure also. I told my wife, no more favorite pre- preachers for me. I've got to stop ruining these people. <laughs> anyway, I think that's funny even if, if it's weird because I'm talking to a video camera. Here's the thing. Um, it's great to have others in our life who can lead us. It's great to have favorite preachers and favorite songwriters and favorite singers. And you get the idea. But the test is something you've got to pass. Children of Israel, you've had Moses at a clutch, as, a, as a, a crutch for a very long time. It's time for you to go because I'm not going with you, Moses says. Imagine the uncertainty. Imagine the fear. And so Moses, watch this. Moses gives them uh, three things. Three things. I'm not going with you. And here's what he's going to say. Number one, God, your God, will cross the river ahead of you. Do you see? I'm not going with you. It's your test. But you're not taking it alone. Your God can go places I can't go. This is what Moses is saying. I've been honored to lead you. It's been awesome to to, to be used of the Lord. It's the honor of anyone's life to be used of the Lord. But God can go places I can never go. And God can do things I can never do. And he says he's going to fight your battles. He will destroy your enemies. His word is sure. He is going to be with you. The Lord, your God, will go ahead of you. He will fight your battles, destroy the nations in your your path so that you may dispossess them, the writer says. This was the land Abraham had been given by God. He had tread the breadth of it. He had walked the height of it. And God said, I give it to you. Here is the reality in uncertainty. When you are filled with, uns, uh, with, 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 with a sense of, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what the right path is. When you are uncertain, when you are feared, when you are fearful, you've got to know that God is going with you. He's going to fight your battles and he's going to give you what he said was yours. And so verse 6, what does Moses say? Be strong, number one. Two, take courage. And number three... Don't be intimidated. Why? Because your God is striding ahead of you. He won't let you down, the writer says. He will not lead you. And so now's the transition. Then Moses summoned Joshua. That's transition right there. 
This is where all of us are living. Uh, the, in, uh, when you pass a test, you move into transition. Uh, you have faced a dilemma. You have been strong in that. And now you move into transition. Uh, I, want, I want to speak to all of you. And I, I, I want to point out something that, that I think would be helpful for all of us to be reminded of. That is this. First of all, there's been some tests in our life that we've passed. And there's been some tests in our life that we've failed. Um, we all, if you're honest with yourself, I know some people are not, uh, they feel like being honest with themselves is you know, some type of, of vulnerability they don't want to have, but I, I don't want to be that person. I want to realize that his strength is in my weakness. And when I'm weak, then he is strong. Why? Because I'm not looking to my solution, but I cast myself wholly upon his promises and I stand in his strength. So there's been some tests you failed and there's been some tests you've passed. And I, in the same way, there's been some tests I've failed and some tests I have, I have passed. When you are in a test, what is required to pass that test? Faith. You've got to have faith to pass that test. And here's the interesting thing that is true. When you move from faith to transition, what is also needed? Faith. Now, let me restate that. When you move from test to transition, you know you need faith and test. But there's this part of you that you're like, well, I passed the test. Now I need, a, I need my operating manual. But here you see passing a test, moving to transition, and you still need faith. Why is this? Faith is the fundamental reality of the Christian walk. You know this. We sing it. We preach it. We talk about it. Here it is. Whether or not you're failing the test, you need to find faith and rebuild faith. Whether or not you've passed the test, you've done so because you held strong to your faith. And as you move into transition, uh, you're still going to be building upon, upon faith. This is why Moses can say to them, in the moment of their transition, yeah, okay, you're in transition, be strong. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Take courage. Don't be intimidated. Don't worry over what you're going to face. Your God, verse 6, is striding ahead of you. He is right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. This is the fundamental position of people of faith. And so every time you feel fear, what is your right response? Not to get mad at yourself, but to choose faith. How do you do that? You speak it. That's how you choose faith. You speak faith. You say, well, I don't know what it means to choose faith. Well, try speaking it. It is in the power of your word. So don't let a fear in your life go unchecked. Respond to it by speaking faith. I'm just like you. I feel fear. I feel uncertainty. Just like you. What are we called to do? To respond to fear by the fruit of our lips. To speak faith. And so James will say, if you can control what you say, you can control where you're living. You can control how you're doing. And he uses the example of a horse with a bit in its mouth. And it's just a small bit. And it leads a mighty animal. Why? Because if you can control what you're saying, you can control, you can influence what you're feeling. And so even from test to transition. Faith is a requirement in both, both places. I want to end with this. Our musicians can come. Um, I want to remind you that the church um, was not made 
designed, founded, and established to only make it when things are going well. This church was not built in such a manner that it only does well when times are good. I want to remind you that from the very beginning, this church, not just us locally, but the church universal, has faced, faced uncertainty, has faced setback, has faced trial of storm, trial of flood, trial of sword, trial of pain, trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, and the test, and, and the church, generation after generation, has passed that test. And they did so while keeping the truth of their claims and holding high the testimony that God had changed their heart. I want to remind you of this truth that in the first centuries of the church, uh, really through most of the medieval times, um, as the church uh, drifted more and more further and further away from that apostolic core of what had been established by the apostles and became more a product of the reasoning of the ecclesiastical councils and popes, um, who I'll leave them with their judge, but um, I, I want you to see how the church really has faced difficulty and hardship and, and struggle. One of the early church historians, uh, Eusebius, uh, he tells the story and uh, something that happened in the city of Caesarea in the Roman Empire. Um, they had a, they had already been weakened by famine and war. I mean, they were it was really bad, bad shape uh, at this time. And to make matters worse, they had an outbreak of the plague during that time. And it is recorded in Eusebius' book entitled The Church History. Um, he says this, all day long. Well, let me, let me back up here and explain more, one more thing. Um, in spite of this, the church maintained their testimony, their life of example. And he records this, that Christians all day long, some of them, tended to the dying, even buried the bodies, countless numbers that no one would care for. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those who had withered from the famine and, and, and distributed bread to them all. We're trying to do that as a church. Now, we're a much wealthier society than this time, but uh, Monday, uh, there was a team here um, contacting parents of many of our Prosper University kids and they were preparing uh, baskets of food to take, take to those parents who were needy. Many of them are underprivileged kids and, and they were distributing. Um, yeah, there was some risk in that. Yeah, they, they could have stayed at home. They could have, uh, but they chose to do that in the same manner. It's the same testimony. It's the same effort. And we didn't just put a pack of crackers. We made sure there was so many, so many ounces of, of, of meat and protein. And we tried to make good baskets, the kind of things that we would want to eat. And so uh, as, much as, as much as we could with what we had. And um, it's the same thing. That testimony, that testimony makes, makes a difference. And so uh, Eusebius goes on. Uh, to say this, because of the compassion of the Christians in the midst of the plague, their deeds were on everyone's lips. I'm reading his words. Their deeds were on everyone's lips. And everyone glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone, the Christians, were truly pious and truly reverent to God. Uh, 
A few, a few years, few years later after this, the last pagan emperor of Rome who tried to turn Rome back toward the pagan gods and away from Christianity, his name was Julian, uh, Emperor Julian. He was known as Julian the Apostate. Uh, he, he recognized that if they wanted to win the hearts of the people, they had to do things differently. And so this is Emperor Julian's words writing to a priest of one of his pagan temples. He said, quote, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the, the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, he's referring in his language to Christians, they weren't worshiping the heathen gods that he calls them impious, um, observed this fact and devoted themselves to ph philanthropy. Quote, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. In fact, Emperor Julian will write to this priest that these pagan priests need to imitate the Christian's charity in order to bring about a revival of paganism in the empire. I think that's one of the greatest testimonies of Christianity. Um, the church was built for a storm. Uh, Early in the church history, uh, between 250 and 270 AD, there was a terrible plague that struck the whole of the Roman Empire. This is a different plague, just to give you another example. Um, it's believed by historians to either be measles or smallpox, which is just a killer. It's just a terrible, terrible disease. And it was devastating the Roman Empire. And at the height of it, it was known uh, as, becomes, became known by history as the plague of of, of, of Cyprian after the uh, bishop, uh, St. Cyprian, who actually wrote the story down. Um, every day, 5,000 people were dying in the city of Rome alone. And it was so bad that the bod bodies were piling up and, and uh, people would just lock themselves in their house. And it, it was terrible. Um, the emperor at that time, his name was, I, be I believe I'm pronouncing this correct, Dicius. And he, he blamed the Christians for the plague. And so, as you might expect, a lot of people were angry with the Christians. And what did the Christians do? Well, <laughs> if they were like some of us, they just, you know, well, if they don't want what we got, they just can bust it wide open. No, <laughs> that's not what they did. <laughs> what they did is they, they ignored what everyone was saying. And they just did what they had always done. And uh, they cared for the victims of the plague. They died too. Their family members died too, but they never lost their testimony. They cared even for their pagan neighbors. And um, the author Rodney Stark wrote in his book, The Rise of Christianity, Christians stayed in the afflicted cities when pagan leaders, even pagan physicians fled and they took care of people. And uh, this showed, and one historian, Candida Moss, uh, notes that this epidemic that seemed like the end of the world. At the time, it seemed like the end of the world. And you can see the writing in many of the other uh, secular historians of the time. They thought their world was ending. In spite of the emperor saying that the Christians had caught it, caused it, the Christians' testimony overcame what they were saying about them. And their kindness and their love made such a difference that historians believe this is a turning point in the Roman Empire 
where the Roman Empire starts turning toward this man who was more than just a man named Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus who changed everything, who endured the worst death and rose again on the third day. This became, this became a testimony of how resilient Christianity is and how resilient the church is. And one more story. This is a modern story. Recently uh, on National Public Radio's uh, show, All Things Considered, they were interviewing uh, one of the volunteers for Doctors Without Borders. And his name was Stephen uh, Roden. And he had a job of collecting the bodies of Ebola victims just a few years ago. And uh, no one else people were afraid and, and they wouldn't even go collect the bodies and dispose of them in a, uh, a, 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 a dignified manner that also served public health. And um, this, this man here, um, this doctor, he led team members to go collect these bodies and to give them a proper uh, bur- burial. And they would collect 10 to 25 bodies a day. And this is, this is recent, recent history here. And on the radio, uh, National Public Radio, they asked him if he was a religious man. And he said, I am. Yes, I'm a practicing Christian. And then they asked him if what he saw, this is how the secular mind thinks. Did what you see there of these, this plague of Ebola, did it cause you to doubt your faith? This is the secular mind. Everything's God's fault. It's always, you get the idea. And his response to them was, no, I got great strength from my faith and the support of my family. Here's the thing. Um, people can say anything they want about believers. They can mock, mock you. They can even persecute you, which what we don't. What we, what we go through is light affliction compared to what the generations who were before us went through. And I just want to say this. Your testimony uh, will defeat any accusation when it is lived out with your life. A debate that you make with your lips where you just say, you're wrong and blah, 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 that, that, doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't impact the ages. What changes the world is the lived testimony of Christians. And so I want to encourage you wherever you are. First of all, you're going to make it. We're going to make it. We might all be a little bit leaner <laughs> and a little bit poorer. <laughs> we might all be stir-crazy. We might all just need to go outside our house and run around a few times. That'd be good for us anyway. But you're going to make it. We're going to make it. Not only that, God will take the tragedy and he will bring something beautiful out of it. And more importantly, he has invited us to be his hands and his feet to heal a broken world. You see, because Christ at his essence is this. What does God do with a broken world? This is what he chooses to do. He doesn't throw it away, cast it aside, start over. He says, no, I will go and let myself be broken to fix it. And the image of that is the cross. The reason why Christianity, the the most powerful image of it all is a cross, is because it's the image of what a perfect God will do to save an imperfect world of rebellious beings that he loves. The cross is a picture of a whole God being broken that he might make us whole. Do you see?
And what does he invite you to do? What does he invite me to do? Not to debate theology. That's not what he invites us to do. He invites us to take up our own cross. Do you see? Take up your cross. That image of a perfect God willing to be broken to make a flawed world whole. My life can be given to make a world better than the world I found. Your life can be given to make a world better than the world you found. We are invited to give ourselves to the kingdom that we, like a grain of wheat, might spend our life, not not in some foolish way or some silly way, but the daily choices, the manner of our values, the speaking of our words, we can make the world better. This is the invitation of the cross. When you find brokenness, what do you do? Do you pass by on the other side of the road? Or do you let yourself be broken? That there might be a spiritual wholeness that is imparted. That is the ultimate testimony of Christianity. Not how fancy our churches are. Not how good our singers are. And we've got some good ones. And not how good our preachers are. And thank you very much. <laughs> Just having fun. <laughs> I want you to see the ultimate testimony is how you respond to brokenness. And this society right now is filled with brokenness. And the church cannot pass by on the other side of the road. The church must take up our cross and say we too will give our lives to make a broken world whole. Wherever you are, bow your head with me right now. Lord Jesus, we stand before you. We acknowledge the difficult times that our society is in. We acknowledge the uncertainty. But we as people of faith choose the promises of God. We choose the assurances of your word. And we stand and remind our fearful natures and we remind our trembling hearts that these are just small afflictions. And we have generations of elders who have gone through much worse and came through it all with a great testimony and changed the world by their example. Lord Jesus, Don't let a modern church be so petty that in this small suffering we fall apart, lose our way, lose our mission. But let us arise with focus, intensity, prayerfulness. Let us say we will overcome and we will celebrate what God has done and we will see a broken world made whole not through us but through the power of the cross. Let it start with me, O God. Let it start it right here in me and let it flow out to the people that I influence. Lord, I pray comfort to everyone who is fearful. I pray them I pray they would discover the wisdom of speaking faith to their fear, not to leave a fear unanswered. Never give doubt the last word. Speak faith back to it. Lord Jesus, and bring us through all of this, not just with the statement of our own survival, but bring it through it, through it all with the testimony that we are the people of the cross, the people who believe that the point of it all is to love others and prefer others and be reconciled to others, not simply be self-centered, self-obsessed, self-absorbed. Let your church pass the test and transition into the revival that you've promised in your word. 
that this world would be saved. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.